0: All right, my name is Richard C. Wilson. I'm the founder of the Family Office Club. I started the investment community in 2007. We have somewhere around 2,500 investors registered with us now. They're registered with the club. We represent about 275 under contract, working with them to source investments and place their capital into deals. Our membership is made up of 700 to 800 members who basically subscribe to the Family Office Club to learn how to raise more capital. Improve the investor relations, source better deal flow, and grow their real estate development firm, private equity firm, or operating business faster through getting better at raising capital. Uh, today's workshop uh, well, it's not really a workshop, it's a webinar, and we're gonna make it concise. We're gonna try to keep this one to 30 minutes. Uh, I'm not gonna belabor each point, I'm just gonna get your wheels turning on some points you've probably not considered on improving your email communications or If you have, you've thought about it, but you've delayed putting it into place. So I hope that the next 29 minutes here are really going to help you become more effective at communicating with investors when it comes to reaching out via email, because all of us have to do it for a certain percentage of our communications. And most of us are messing up at least five or six things, if not a dozen things in how you reach out to people. A few of these things are opinions, but they are what I've found has worked over time. So in the last... Uh, 13 years, I have sent 125,000 emails. Um, I've also received 1.1 million emails. I respond to emails at a far higher rate than the average investor. So most of them, if they had gotten 1.1 million emails, would probably have only written 25,000 or 50,000. Um, but we have multiple businesses here. We, we want to respond and be helpful to just about everybody. So I think that explains the difference. They go over these 19 different insights related to improving your email communications. Okay, so here we go. First is to keep your emails very concise. The shorter your email, the more likely it is that someone will actually read your email. Otherwise, when they open it, they're going to say, well, I don't have time right now. I'll look at that email later. Oh, I'm very busy this morning. I don't have time to read that huge paragraph or this essay of an email I'll get to that later or forget it. no way I'm going to read a random email that long from a random person that I don't already know. The other reason to keep it concise is your most valuable potential investors are the busiest. So they're the ones where you need the most amount of brevity and conciseness and being direct to the point because they're flooded with the most communications and they have the least amount of time. So even if they weren't flooded with more communications than a low end investor, They still value their time higher, but it's doubly important to be concise because they're very, very busy and they get tons of communications. The second is to be very visual with a headshot and logo for your company. And they show you an example of what my email signature looks like after this. And it's something that you can emulate and use. I had a good email signature, but then I saw one of our members had a better one. And I said, wow, that's a really nice format. So I gave it to my marketing designer and she emulated it for us and you can do the same here. So I'll show that to you in just a minute. Number three, we've talked about this in our workshops and other webinars, always have a video in your teaser, a video in your pitch deck, a link to a video, either in your email or in the footer of your email or the PS section of the email. You can link to a video within an email and have that be the whole purpose of sending the emails to get them on a video. Um, but use video in your emails more often than not. Number four tip is to really focus on the subject line. If the subject line doesn't draw them in, you don't exist in their mind. You're just gonna get archived, spam listed, et cetera, without them even reading the subject of your email. And I had a chance to interview Brian Tracy, who is a mentor of mine. And I talked to him for a full hour about what he's learned during his whole career about communications and effectiveness and getting people to reply and engaging people. And what I found is that he said the email or the the title of something is more important than anything else. He would be hired by people just based on the title of something. And in the best practices of writing marketing messages, they always say the title and then the hook are the two most important things. And the hook is the first sentence of your communications. But the title matters the most. The title is selling them on reading your message. The message is selling them, hopefully, on taking some action, booking a phone call, replying to you, uh, confirming a meeting time. But if you don't get the subject line right, then they're not gonna open it, they're not gonna take any action, they're not gonna read anything. The point number five here is to customize the email. People don't wanna do this. They want to send out a blanket email to a bunch of people and think that they're smart enough to write an email that's gonna attract everybody. First of all, it needs to be focused on a certain type of investor, and best of all, is if you can customize it to the exact investor, you know, you see that they're based in North Carolina, you see that they made their money in manufacturing and you have something related to that industry. Maybe you have a real estate tech company and you're reaching out to a real estate uh, investor who could try it out on their own properties and then roll it out uh, to, you know, then invest in it after he's tried it out uh, within his own properties, et cetera. The more you can customize the email, the better to who they are, the type of investor, the type of lingo they're used to um, hearing or, or understanding, what their headaches are, their opportunities, et cetera. Um, the next part is to personalize the email. This is something that takes a little bit extra time as well. Um, and, basically, and basically, when you personalize the email, it could just be personalized, personalizing it with their first name, their company name. Um, The more personalization, the more likely they are to reply. If you only reach out to CPAs in the state of California and you're able to customize that language to them, then that helps. We recently reached out to a lot of um, special purpose acquisition companies. We reached out to bank CFOs. So we customized the email copy to be highly relevant to them. We do interviews uh, each week with investors and release those in our membership portal And we've found that when we customize the email to reach out to wealth management firms, we get a much higher response. Obviously when the subject line and the first sentence of the email talks about how we're interviewing wealth management firm executives and that there's no cost. and We're just getting the word out about who they are and it's all dialed in who they are. Then that really gets the maximum response. Otherwise we have people replying saying, Oh, I'm a family office, not a wealth management firm. Oh, I'm a, a bank executive, not an investment firm executive. You might think it's the same thing or close to the same thing, but if people feel like something's not targeting them directly, they're just gonna ignore it. And very rarely will they even take the time to reply and say, oh, I'm not a family office, I'm a wealth management firm. They just won't reply. And so personalizing the email uh, is good to do. Customizing it to exactly who they are is gonna be the best. Dean Jackson's been a mentor of mine and uh, he talks about having a 10 word email the one that he's famous for uh, using is something such as, hey, Richard, are you still interested in getting your book written this month or something of that effect? So, uh, hey, John, are you still interested in potentially investing in our high-tech company? Or, hey, Susan, are you still interested in joining us as a strategic investor in our operating business or real estate development firm and or getting exposure to a diversified bucket of real estate development assets. Um, That one-liner question, people answer questions in their mind, and they're more likely to answer an email that has one direct sentence that's a question that's relevant to how they got on your email list, importantly. So if you had a phone call, you could follow up just with that one question. Uh, That moves the ball forward. If they opted in for an asset on your website, that could be something that you can follow up with them and say, maybe they downloaded your report on investing in mineral rights. And you could say, are you still interested in investing in mineral rights? Something as simple as that, just to get engagement. Um, One of the goals here that I learned from Evan Pagan is that when you look at a message, either it looks like advertising or it looks like something that could be helpful. Is this thing looking to sell you something or is this thing looking to give you something? And people react instantly to this and can gauge whether, oh, that's, a, that's selling me something, that's an advertisement, that's giving me something, that's helpful, that's an editorial, uh, that's an infographic. One is giving and one is trying to take. And so one of the most famous advertisements put out by Ogilvy was for Rolls-Royce. And it looked like an editorial in like a Wall Street Journal type publication. And it said, the loudest thing in the Rolls-Royce at 60 miles per hour, is the clock ticking on the dashboard, saying that's a very luxury ride, but it had a a newspaper type formatted article, but it was really an advertisement, not a editorial, but it looked like an editorial. And your messages will get across and penetrate deeper if they look like a message from a friend, if they look like something that's value add and is genuinely value add on the front end, whether it's a benchmark survey, infographic, something that adds value to them first, a resource, a tool, um, a device of some type that helps them, a piece of intellectual property that helps them. Those are all things that could be very helpful and having things come in is under the radar. If you think about the emails you commonly reply to from employees um, of your company, from partners, from friends, from family members, they're not sending you usually unless, um, you know, maybe some people do, but most people aren't usually sending you essay long emails they send you a couple of emails like, hey, are you coming to the barbecue on Saturday? Or are you guys still interested in going to Yellowstone for spring break? And they might put some details in the email, but it's relatively casual, direct, and it's not this huge long essay of an email usually uh, from non-commercial sources. It's also your brother-in-law or sister is not sending you an email with super fancy graphics and things moving around and perfectly formatted newsletter with tons of high gloss graphics. You might want one image, to make your point super clear or show what they can get or show a preview of a video maybe in some of the emails maybe 25 percent of the messages you send but otherwise most people are not sending out emails to their friends and employees in a super fancy formatted newsletter that's just going to smell like something that someone wants to take from you unless the subject line of that newsletter is so valuable and niche focused that it's hitting them between the eyes and they lean forward and they get sucked in and they have to read it. Um, Evan Pagan used to say that in writing copy, I think John Carlton actually used to say this, is that when you write an email or a title of something, you want them to read that and just stare at it and say, wow, this is exactly meant for me. Almost like an alien spaceship has landed in their backyard and they can't take their eyes off of it. It's literally in their backyard. You're hitting them right between the eyes with value with something that's a problem for them. And so it gets their attention at that level. Otherwise you're just lost in the noise if you don't aim for that, because you're not always gonna hit that and you're not always gonna hit that for your key demographic. So you have to always be striving for that level of dialing things in. Point number nine here to make sure you get a better response rate is to keep things tangible and measurable. Don't say you have a best in class team. Don't say you have a long track record. Don't say you have a lot of experience through multiple markets that all means absolutely nothing. Uh, don't say you have 400 years of experience among your team members. Um, say things such as we've been, we've been in business for nine years, we've closed 19 deals, we've served, uh, or we've had 29 investors, uh, You know, basically conduct due diligence on our company and allocate capital to it or we've provided a 14% IRR consistently over time every year or higher since 2006, Um, or we have 14 people on our team. These are all tangible things that if some regulator came along and said, how can you say that? You can say, oh, well, look at our payroll report for that month, we have 14 employees, or here is our audited track record, or here is uh, the proof of how many investors we have. You never wanna say something that you couldn't back up factually, but you wanna say things that are so specific that someone would want you to because it is so explicit and specific. It's so much more credible than saying you're best in class and have industry leading experience. That just sounds like pure fluff and a sophisticated investor will either see through that in a second or realize that you're just communicating poorly or you don't have the real experience and you're trying to fluff it up or both. Either way, it's bad, and they've already moved on and forgot that you've existed. Is the harsh reality of our space. There is so many communications going on at a time that you really have to have the stuff dialed in. All right, that's that's components number one through nine. We're going to go through ten more email optimization components in just a second. Here is a visual of my email signature. Um, I blew it up a little bit, so it's a tiny bit warped, not quite as HD as it is in my email. Um, but you can see here, we have a link to our website, we have our address, we have a phone number, we have links to the podcast, social media. Um, we show our logo, we show a picture of myself. People want to do business with other people that they grow a real relationship with. And I think having a picture of yourself and the email signature is enormously helpful. And then having that blended in nicely with a white background so it melts right into the background color of your white email editor and having your professional logo it assures them that they're dealing with a professional that you actually have an address. Believe it or not, some people send emails and there's no phone number on their email and we have a calendar invite for a phone call. I go to our email and they didn't add it to the calendar invite. They don't have a phone number on their email signature. And I just wonder, how are you even in business? Like this is such common sense stuff that you should have that. Some people send me pitch decks and in their email address, there's no address. In their pitch deck, there's no address. It makes me think you don't have an office. Maybe that's the reality. You're just getting started and don't have an office yet. But it's, it's not as professional. And so when you have a professional logo, a professional picture, they can see who they're dealing with. They're more likely to remember you. They're more likely to trust you. They can find your contact details in case they need to send you a text message, a phone call. Maybe they want to meet with you and they're traveling sometime soon and they seem to remember that you were in Austin or New York, et cetera. These are all important components that go into here. And I would add your one liner, which we'll get to on the next slide, in the email or underneath, right by the social media links. So every email you send is driving home the one liner for your firm. So you can see just within this email signature, there's about 10 best practices going on. Almost everyone, you know, I believe this is the best practice that everyone should use. Almost everyone messes this up. Almost nobody has a picture. I think it's like one to to 2% of people I've seen have a picture. Um, Probably only 5% or less have a logo uh, within their email signature. These are things that take 10 minutes to set up. It costs nothing to take a picture and it costs very little to get a professional logo and get all of this going and set up for you. All right, components number 10 through 19. And we'll take about five minutes of questions after I get through uh, all of these components here. Number 10 is social media, add social media links. Number 11, add the one-liner. there's a couple ways to take this advice. If you don't know what to write in your email, just write your one liner. And whether your one liner is, you know, over 13 years we've closed 487 uh, deals uh, in the XYZ space, uh, or if your one liner is something else, then you could just say, hey, my name is Richard. Over 13 years we've closed 487 investments in land banking. Uh, do you have time at 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. next Tuesday or Thursday to get on the phone and discuss this strategy with me and just getting it down to a sentence where you use your one liner and you either have another half sentence call to action about whether they want to have a phone call and um, a meeting to join your webinar or to get a free resource from you. Or you say something else in your email that's super direct and concise and you use the one-liner in your PS area of your email template. Um, Those would be the two ways to work in your one-liner. Number 12, we already showed the web address, the physical address, the phone, etc. Number 12 is so simple, it's silly to even say it here, but do a self-audit. Open up your email editor uh, and then click compose, start a new email, see what automatically populates. Does it have your logo, have your image here? Uh, email address, your phone number, etc. Have a credible domain name website built. I shouldn't have to say this, but I know at least 20% of you are using Gmail, Yahoo, etc. no one's gonna take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously. So even if you're just getting started, you should take yourself seriously. Why should someone else invest their time taking a single meeting with you if you don't have an $8 domain name that's well thought out and makes sense, they can easily find you. If you haven't built a website, for two or $3,000, why should somebody spend an hour of their time listening to your pitch? Their time is worth more than $3,000 an hour. You're basically saying, hey, I don't want to invest anything in my idea yet, but maybe you want to throw your money at it. That's, that's the disrespect that you're saying when you don't have a professional setup and you go to people asking for their time and asking for their money. Their time is even more scarce than their money, but they're both scarce and they're both valuable. So they're burning money just investigating your idea, and if you haven't spent money setting up your idea to be credible and done right for the long term, then you're really going to lose credibility very quickly, and they're going to go dark on you. Some people will get one of our 47 niche databases from um, FamilyOfficeDatabases.com. They'll get one of those, and they'll say, "Hey, I, I emailed 25 investors or 100 investors. The number doesn't matter. And um, I didn't get a response. You know, I'm not very happy with this data." And we say, well, you know, did, did an email bounce? Because we guarantee you the data is accurate. If it's not, you know, we give a four times prorated refund. If 5% of our data is bad, we give a 20% refund to encourage people to report it. And we're always updating it. And so it's not whether the data is bad. Is, is your offer bad? Is the communication bad? Is your email signature bad? Is your email copy bad? Is your follow-up bad? Are your phone manners bad? Are you following up too often? Uh, are you overpriced? Do you have a bad feed? Do you have a confusing structure? Do you have no teaser? Is your pitch deck 79 pages long? These are all things that can mess up the approach to the investors. We're saying here are some horses. You have water. We can't make the horses drink your water. Uh, this is just two components of 50 different things to help things go well. That's why we do the webinars, the workshops and everything else. It's not just about the data. Um, and so what you do with contact details, what you do with how you approach, changes everything, obviously. What you're offering changes everything. Uh, Adding value first, having that mindset is super important. We're always stressing that. You can add value first through a research report, an interview, a podcast, an infographic, a benchmark survey, a book, a white paper, uh, email-based interviews, an email newsletter. You can add value first by getting them a new piece of business, introducing them to peers, you could give them tax strategies or structures, legal structures. I recently was able to engage Cold, a $130 million net worth family, because I drove through their retail outlet, Cold messaged them on LinkedIn, met with a family member. 10 days later, I met with the board overseeing all of their investments, and I found a way to save them 13% equity on each retail location they open going forward and I got their attention through adding value first. I didn't pitch them what I was doing. And most people just pitch, pitch, pitch all the time. Uh, Preview images can be helpful uh, to have within your email, so People know what they're about to click on or get access to Uh, if you're offering them a free resource. Doing A-B email testing, you can do this using HubSpot very easily. If you need HubSpot, want to get hooked up with it, whether you are a member or not, uh, let Jennifer and my team know at jennifer@familyoffices.com. At it's jennifer@familyoffices.com. We're an enterprise agency partnered with HubSpot. We use them extensively. We've got a couple hundred thousand email opt-ins to their system. And A, B, email testing is basically every time you send an email, you go in and you write two emails, or let's say it's one email, but two different subject lines. And you test those subject lines against each other. It not only makes you smarter on seeing what works better for the next email you send but it also diversifies your risk maybe one approach is going to work wildly better but you really need to show up to your webinar today or your event today etc so by having two different people on your team subject lines or just learning over time what gets a high open rate high response rate uh is something you should always be testing i would for sure always be doing a b email testing Uh, and just know that over time there's a lot of nuances to this. Some emails might get a high open rate, but you attracted a bad portion of your list, the low quality portion. Some might get a high open rate, but that same high open rate gets a lower click-through rate. Some might get a high open rate. It seems like a low click-through rate, but they digested the content and the right type of demographic opened the email. They got the value and now they're going to be more responsive. The other thing you can do is number 17 is watch the number of links in your emails. If you have way too many links, like five to seven or 10 plus links, it could make it so your email gets blocked by email providers if you go overboard on linking. What we've found is a great balance is to hyperlink over a word, highlight a word, have one link to the resource or asset there, like today we're having a webinar on sending more effective email communications, and I would hyperlink the word webinar and link that to the webinar registration page, Then at the bottom of the email, have a flat link, we call it, which is the full spelled out URL to the webinar registration page. They know exactly where they're going. They know it's not some crazy hacker link or some hidden link, and they don't know where they're going. They know they're going to a Zoom registration page, and you give them two spots to click within an email. I've read in a few places that people click on emails more often when there's more than one place to click. You just don't want to go too overboard on it. You also wanna be careful if you click click out to five different places and the point of the email is to get them to click on your calendar scheduling link. Less people are gonna click on the calendar scheduling link if they're also clicking on other things, perhaps. You have to consider whether that could be the case. So you wanna keep your emails pretty focused and make sure that you know what you're trying to do. Are you trying to add value to the person? Are you trying to sell the person? Are you trying to book them on a phone call, get a meeting, get them to look at your teaser? What is the goal of the communication? We often find that a sandwich approach of having value, maybe a sales pitch, and then value, or let's say value with a mention of something that could be bought, and then a sales pitch, and then pure value, that type of a rhythm is good for a large email list with, like in our case, it's a, about 150,000 active people on our investment email list and uh, you don't want to pitch, 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 and most of you are not gonna wanna only add value, you want them to take action and, and become a client or become a member, et cetera. Uh, number 18 is more of a, an advanced strategy. If you're naturally a humorous person, maybe your space uh, naturally lends itself to having a sense of humor, um, then I would definitely play that up a little bit in a professional way. You know, the finance world is void of humor. Most people don't have a sense of humor. You go to conferences and there are either institutional straight-laced investment professionals that are super rigid and and kind of high stress intense, going through their charts on the price of gold and how it's actually outperformed every other asset class. It seems like every asset class seems to claim that and show a nice colored chart on why it's true. But um, you get those types of speakers. Then you get people who are highly stressed out, not used to public speaking. They're nervous. They're from a small boutique shop or the highly technical speaker, et cetera, you very seldom have a very energetic, dynamic, good sense of humor, comical, but very value added speaker. You don't wanna distract from your message and make it a a stand up bit, but um, having something that shows you're a normal human being would go a long ways, because at the end of the day, it's about trusting other people and figuring out who you wanna do business with. Uh, Timing is the other thing. So when it comes to email communications, Uh, You want to follow up consistently and be politely persistent, but not annoying, not a burden, not following up three times in a day or even three times in a week. I would suggest following up at the most two times every 10 days. If you have to follow up two times in 10 days, do it through different modes. Follow up one time via LinkedIn, one time via phone. If you know them well enough to send them a text message, I would send a text and then maybe an email nine days later and then space it out by another 10 days and maybe at most communicate three or four times over a whole month because time is flying by for them. If you're at a workshop, it's like they're in a different time warp zone and time is just flying by. So just keep that in mind, be respectful of their time, don't follow up too much and spend the time to write a very concise message. There's a famous saying in marketing that, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long message, I didn't have time to write something more concise. It's a form of laziness to write out an essay and send that off to somebody versus figuring out who they are, what they want, what's most important that you do, and narrowing it down to what's most important in the communications. Okay, that gets through the 19 email effectiveness ideas here for today. Um, We have just a couple minutes left. We'll be at the 30 minute mark. I've realized that the most valuable potential members in the Family Office Club are the busiest. So I don't wanna always take a full hour to do these webinars. Um, Let me see real quick what questions we have here and I'm just gonna scroll through a couple of these real quick. What kind of subject line phrases work? So one subject line phrase that works is first name. First name gets opened more than not having a name. First name and last name opens well, but just first name opens better. And for whatever reason, sometimes I found that first name and then having Um, first name and then having their phone number somewhere in the subject line makes it so much more customized that they can they know that that email is probably something they opted in. This is someone who really knows me or they wouldn't have my phone number. Somebody is asking in the chat for the book page to be shown. Uh, I don't want to click around and do the share button again, but if you just go to capitalraising.com, you can get my free book on capital raising. If you go to familyoffices.com, you can get my free book on family offices. So feel free to do that. Uh, Vinay, I use a Gmail business account. It doesn't allow me to paste an image in your signature. Uh, actually, Vinay, that is incorrect. I use Gmail, G Suite, uh, corporate version or whatever it's called. And I can put uh, HTML and images in my email signature. If you are a member of Vinay, just email Jennifer at familyoffices.com And then Lewis on my t- team, my CTO will send you some three step directions on how you can do that. It's, it's very simple. Um, let's see what other questions here is that upspot or hubspot it is hubspot with an h and if you need help getting hubspot going uh, or just want to get some insights from our team uh, just talk to jennifer at familyoffices.com she can help you talk to our rep at hubspot the point on humor, humor uh, just have a sense of humor. Most people in finance don't or they just hide it completely and they act like investment business analytical robots on stage and in communications, very straight-laced and just be a normal human being and connect with people on a personal level. PDF attachment versus hyperlink. Uh, I would do a hyperlink. It makes the email less heavy in almost every case. Good structure to begin building a relationship. Edmund, add value first. Customize it. At the very least, personalize it. Don't follow up too much, make it super concise. Anonymous, when starting out, how do you have results but little AUM? What details would you put in your one-liner? We'll do a whole webinar on one-liners if we haven't yet. I'll have to look up at the 40 webinars we've done to see if we've done that. But uh, essentially, I would put in there your uh, number of deals done, number, number of investors served, number of years in business, number of employees, tangible numbers that show you're credible and dedicated to your space. Would you provide another example of a value add sandwich? Yeah. So it would be: hey, yesterday I walked this piece of property, and while the price was good, we turned it down because of the potential environmental remediation issues that were a five percent chance, but they could come to bite us. Uh, so we had to walk away from that deal. And many times deals look good, but because of all the painful lessons we had to learn along the way, they only look good on the surface, but you have to know about these other issues going on. That would be an example of a value add email. The next day, you might say, "Hey Ryan, are you still interested in investing in my operating business and consumer products? Uh, if so, here's my calendar links. You can schedule a call with me." And then maybe three business days later, and I usually have space these out by a couple business days uh, a piece. You have to space them out more if there's sales pitch after request after pitch after pitch. You can email more often if you're adding value. I would email two times a week if you're adding value. One out of two times, and you could do three times a week if you're adding value and at least two or um, one and a half of those three emails, then you could get away with three times a week. But it's value, pitch, value is the order, and some of your value could mention what you do to encourage them to reach out. What are some good one liners? Uh, I think we do have a webinar on that, Jeff, as I was saying that out loud. I think we do. If you're a member go on the portal under webinars and otherwise Jennifer can help you find that. Webinar we will do a review of one-liners again, sometimes it's so critical. The slides of the webinar are only available to members. Also the recording is only available to members as well. Solicitations in the chat are distracting, uh, true. If you are watching the webinar, you know please don't use the chat to pitch the fact that you have a game-changing vaccine or a biotech fund. Uh, keep the chat about helpful stuff we're talking about because it just makes it look like you're so desperate to pitch people that you have to do it versus talking about the cool stuff we're talking about here in the webinar. If you don't think what we're talking about is cool, then, you know, there's millions of other webinars during COVID you can go join. Um, last question here from Shiva. converted one of the family offices from not interested to interested by following the value first principle. Good tip. Great. Shiva, I'm glad that that was working for you. And, um, Happy that, that that has been working, and um, that's how we built our whole business. So, I definitely genuinely believe in it, and I'm happy to continue to share what we're learning along the way because it's working for me and working for our members, and quite like it could work for at least some of you. All right, well, that, that wraps up our webinar. I guess we're three minutes over the 30 minute goal for today, but I appreciate everyone spending their time here today. I hope you got more value in this 30 minutes then you do another 30 minute blocks today where you might consume a podcast or a webinar or something. And I hope you found it super niche relevant to your work with investors. So if you want to learn more, or if you want to become one of the 700 live members we have in the family office club right now, just go to familyoffices.com, and you can join our investor community and connect with us again soon. Take care.